Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of You Like That. Today, we're doing a little bit of like a hodgepodge of an episode because I felt like it was necessary to wrap up all of the summer content we've got. I know summer isn't technically over, but work is really starting for me again, so it feels like summer's over. Plus, like people are going back to school, whatever. Some summer's pretty much over. So I'm calling this the end of summer content. We're moving into the the last quarter of the year of content right now. So I wanted I wanted to touch on some of the things that I didn't get to talk about, things that I am still waiting to see maybe, haven't watched yet, yada, yada, yada. So I'm going to do some of that here at the start of the episode. And then I do have a guest today, uh, another first-time guest. I think we're at three in a row now, if I recall correctly, which is great. We love that for the pod. We love new friends of the pod. And we're going to talk about The Bear, which is obviously one of the big pieces of content out of this summer. So we, I have an extended segment on that. So I'm going to try to keep the rest of it pretty short, but just know that this is a bit longer of an episode than you like that usually is. So diving right in, I want to start with movies. This has been like the summer of movies for me. Like I don't know that I've ever been to the theater as many times in the summer as I have this year. I don't know that I've like watched as many like new release films like at home. Like I have just been all over the movie this year. Partly it's because I mean I moved to a new place. I I don't I have some friends, but I I am alone most of the time. So I've been going to the theater as a way to kill time um throughout the summer. And I will say like there's also been a lot of content that I really wanted to make a point to see in theater this summer. And so I mean, it's it's been a great summer for that. So starting at the top of the summer, way back in May, technically. So like, it, it was summer because school was out. But um, we got to start with Top Gun Maverick. I don't think I really talked about this. I think I, I mentioned Miles Teller and Top Gun in one of the Sunday service newsletters, I believe. But I didn't do anything extensive on it. This was the, the movie of the summer. And, you know considering how early in in the summer it came, I think there was plenty of time for something to top it and just nothing did. Like I've only seen the original Top Gun once, I think. And I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I really paid that much attention to it when I watched it, but this movie like checked every box a summer blockbuster could have. Like you have the big action sequences, you have, the tender romantic moments you've got the big names like you've got the great montage scene with that really sexy beach scene with Miles Teller and Glenn Powell like it's all just great um what's really funny connecting this to my job um is that Dino Babers the Syracuse head coach like loves this movie he's talked about it multiple times I should have pulled up one of his quotes to to have on it but yeah I only have good things to say about Top Gun if you're listening to this and you didn't like Top Gun, which I have yet to meet a person that that applies to, please reach out because I would love to hear your opinion on why you didn't like Top Gun Maverick because it's a near perfect movie. I think I, I know I gave it a five on Letterboxd. It's no longer my number one 
as it was for a while because I finally showed up to the party and saw everything everywhere all at once like seven months after the fact which is so embarrassing and that easily took the number one spot but Top Gun is firmly number two I think looking at the slate of movies that are supposed to be released the rest of the year, the only thing that will maybe top it is Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but I don't know, maybe I'll be surprised. Going through kind of more super talked about movies this summer, the other one is the Elvis movie. I liked it in the end. The beginning was rough for me. I was kind of like, this is like, uh, this is not great. I think the Tom Hanks of it all was a little confusing for me per, per, personally. Um, just because like, I don't know, I get what Baz Luhrmann was trying to do with like talking about the evils of his manager and stuff like that. But just like some of the the visual style of it and like the narrative style of having Tom Hanks's character whose name I'm forgetting like I don't know like talk about his involvement with it was just odd to me and that kind of turned me off a little but like Austin Butler was phenomenal if he's not nominated for an Oscar for best actor I will be shocked and outraged um I thought like a lot of the musical sequences and the way they weave together Austin Butler singing with like actual authentic recordings of Elvis singing was done really well. We've, we've seen some not great versions of that in recent years, I feel like. And so I was a little like dubious of like, how are they going to make that work? But they did. And same with like the modernized versions of some of the songs. Like I was worried if that was going to make things weird because it's supposed to be a biopic why would you like modernize the music but like the the toxic Britney Spears bright lights big city mashup phenomenal uh the hound dog doja cat song great and they they worked really well within the movie too so I think I ended up giving Elvis three and a half stars so it's like middle of the pack on my movies of the year list and and most of that was because of of Austin Butler because the rest of the movie I was a little a little down on. I, I didn't I didn't love it as much as some other people did. Most recent one I've gone to see in theaters was Bullet Train, which was another one that going into I was like, okay, this could be a really bad movie because a lot of people said it was really bad. The beginning just like with Elvis scared me. Not like actually scared me. <laughs> But I was like, oh, is this what I'm in for for the rest of the movie? It just, you get introduced to the characters in a really sporadic way. And I don't think Brad Pitt's character's intro was like enticing enough for me to be like, okay, I'm going to watch a whole movie where Brad Pitt's the lead. Luckily, I think... um, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyrese Maxwell, I think is his name. Hold on, I'm looking that up so I don't. Brian Tyree Henry. Apologies. Um, they the, the two of them as Lemon and Tangerine carried the film. Um, I think overall, like most of the acting performances were really good. Brad Pitt wasn't terrible. Um 
I think it was more the writing of his character and the writing of the whole film in general that was difficult for me. I I enjoyed it. I thought like the idea of like a heist movie taking place on a train was interesting. And like I said, the characters were really engaging for the most part. But the last like 20 minutes of the film, it's like it had an identity crisis and that just did not do it for me. One more movie to talk about was not a theatrical release. Obviously, these aren't all the movies that came out this summer, but these were four I wanted to talk about. Not Okay, which was the Zoe Deutsch, Dylan O'Brien Hulu movie where Deutsch plays a, like, she's probably millennial and not Gen Z. I don't know how old she's supposed to be in it, but she plays this, like, young woman who's trying to make it as a journalist in New York City at like a magazine online publication type thing, not like a newspaper. And she fakes having been in Paris, which then leads to her having to fake that she lived through a terrorist attack in Paris. And like, it's like a great satire on like Gen Z millennial culture internet culture the way we as a society deal with trauma and like gun culture and like a lot of things Deutsch's character is just god-awful like she portrays it really well but like the character herself is so obnoxious which the movie warns you about from the start like there's a disclaimer that kind of like popped around on Twitter a little bit that plays at the beginning of the film where it's like this film features an unlikable female protagonist and it's 100% correct. Like the entire time I was watching this movie, I was texting my friend who was also watching it and we were both like, this this girl is miserable. Like she is so difficult to listen to, but I think it's worth a watch, like at least one watch for most people just because of the commentary in it. Like it's... It's really, I think, accurate, if not exaggerated. But the thing is, so many things in our culture today are exaggerated. So I, I, I was really pleased with the movie. Um, a couple things I haven't seen yet that are on my list, just in case you're also trying to catch up things before the end of the summer. I am going to try and see where the crawdads sing, just because I'm curious and I am a big Daisy Edgar Jones fan. I need to see the two new A24 films. Bodies, 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 and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I think the only one of those three that's still showing in theaters by me is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So that will probably be the next thing I watch. So potentially a pod or a newsletter on that coming soon. Let's talk TV shows. This this was interesting. It was a big summer for TV. TV's a lot harder to get to everything. So the main content I consumed was The Boys, all three seasons, though season three was the only like new season this year, Miss Marvel, and then most recently Never Have I Ever season three. I'm also going to start with, I tried to watch Conversations with Friends, which is the Sally Rooney, which is the show based on the Sally Rooney novel of the same name at the beginning of the summer. I had been super excited for it. I read the book and I liked it. And I loved the normal people show and book. Like 
I revisit that show every single year, despite the fact that it makes me incredibly depressed every time I watch it. And so I was excited for conversations with friends. I could not get into it. I think I watched three episodes and by watched, I mean, I like had them playing, but regularly got distracted and I never went back to finish it. I really have no desire to finish it. It just did not hit the same. I think mainly because Joe Alwyn and the main girl whose name I don't know, just didn't have the chemistry of Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar Jones. So it was a lot harder, harder to watch. So that was my conversation with friends take. The boys absolutely loved it. I think season three was probably my favorite season. I really liked how it ended. Um, I'm very curious to see where they go in season four. Yeah, I, I need to go back and do something longer on the boys because there's a lot to talk about with that show. And I want to talk it more, talk about it more in depth than I would be able to right now. And I want to talk about it with someone who's kind of been with the show since the beginning and possibly knows a little bit more than I do. So that will definitely come up on your feeds, probably closer to whenever season four is about to come out. Or while it's filming. I haven't really decided. Miss Marvel. I know there was a lot of kind of controversy controversy around this show. I liked Miss Marvel. It was fun. It, it felt like watching Spider-Man Homecoming again. I will say episode five flopped maybe the hardest out of all of the Marvel TV show episode fives, which tend to be a struggle for, for Marvel for whatever reason. Like episode five was bad, but the rest of the show, it was just so wholesome. And I love Kamala Khan and Bruno's relationship and just the way they showed like the family dynamic in the show, everything about it. Chef's Kiss, loved it. Similar vein, Never Have I Ever season three came out. If you are not watching this show, you're missing out on comedy gold. This is one of Mindy Kaling's shows. She also obviously wrote The Mindy Project. She did some writing on The Office. And then like more recently, she wrote and produced Sex Lives of College Girls on HBO Max. Never Have I Ever is so funny. So, so funny. And like one big complaint I hear from a lot of people, and I like agree with, though I think people are dramatic about it, is that the main character gives you so much secondhand embarrassment. But like most teenage girls do. Like if if we were all to time travel back to our high schools when we were, like if we were to be able to time travel eight years ago, I guess for me, like, and I could spy on myself when I was 14, I'm sure I would have as much secondhand embarrassment from watching myself as I do watching Davey and never have I ever. That's just, that's just how high school is. And that's how teenage girls are. And I think it is a really accurate, honest portrayal. Also, it's supposed to be a comedy show. So of course, she's over exaggerated. But I We'll say I wasn't a fan of how this season ended, mainly just because it ended on a cliffhanger I'm not a fan of, but I'm hoping, praying that it will be resolved positively when season four comes around, which will be its last season, which to everyone complaining that that will be the last season, it is good when shows limit themselves. Because nothing has nothing good has ever come of a show trying to go on for longer than its writers have figured out plot lines. 
literally just look at Riverdale. Wrapping this up, because we're going a little long, talking about music. Andrew, our, our get, my guest for the rest of the podcast, uh, is going to talk about music a little bit at the end of our segment. Two albums he didn't mention um, were the new Lizzo album, About Damn Time, and then the Beyonce album. I haven't listened to the Beyonce album yet. I listened to Break My Soul when the single dropped. Uh, and I wasn't a fan. I don't know. I'm not a fan of like house techno-y music. And that that was like a dance club song. And I was just like, it's not really my style. So I do need to listen to the rest of the actual album. But having heard that song, I wasn't like crazy about diving into it right from the start. Same with the Lizzo album, honestly. I love her debut album. This album was fine. It was very much a summer album, which... I wouldn't categorize her first album as and so I was a little I just felt there was like two different vibes and I had been expecting more of what her first album was so it threw me off a little bit I do need to revisit it I've only listened to it once um so yeah that's a little bit on music but anyway let's talk about the bear okay so I'm here to discuss one of the biggest shows of the summer, perhaps the biggest show of the summer with one of my very good friends. He's low-key been begging to get on the pod for a while now. Okay, let's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Does that make me sound yeah, like I exaggeration, but I'm here with Andrew Moore. Andrew, go ahead and give us a little introduction about yourself. Uh, hello, I am Andrew Moore. I do social video stuff at Bleacher Report uh, in Atlanta, and I watched The Bear, which we'll be talking about, and <laughs> I loved it. One of my favorite shows I think I've seen in a while, so I was, as Emily said, begging, yeah. screaming, crying on my knees, pleading with her to get on the podcast, because I know it's just the place to be to discuss pop culture repetitive text messages twitter dms everything it's it's been i was i was hitting her uh like her (laughs) her physical inbox with letters actually i was like hey emily dear dear emily (laughs) like your other qualification to talk about this show kind of is you are from chicagoland area yeah i'm from rockford which actually gets mentioned in the show i don't know if you caught it um they i'm from like rockford area they say in the show if you remember what's that game the video game that they play i forget the exact i don't know but i know yeah i know what you're talking um he i think richie has this line where he's like we've got nerds coming in from rockford for this tournament and so i rockford is mentioned in the show so how far, like, give us, like, an explanation of where Rockford is in comparison to the so, let's say this right here is Illinois. Okay. Lake Michigan. So Chicago, as everybody knows, is right on Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Rockford is a little bit um, to the west and north okay. of Chicago. It's, Rockford is pretty, pretty close to Illinois-Wisconsin border. Um, and so it's about hour, hour, hour and a half into the city. Uh, not too bad, but yeah. So you, t- you like to tell people you're from Chicago, but really. You're- I, I actually, I've been telling people recently at my work, I'm like, I'm from Rockford. 
because I I'm technically from Rock Ten, Illinois, um, <laughs> which is smaller outside of Rockford. But Rockford is at least like if anybody knows NBA, Fred Van Fleet is from Rockford, mm-hmm. which is what I tell a lot of people. I work for Bleacher Report. A lot of people know NBA. And so I'm like, you know NBA? They're like, yeah. And they're like, I'm like, Fred Van Fleet's from Rockford. And they're like, oh, word. And I'm like, word. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Rockford, which is mentioned in the show. You kind of mentioned already what your reaction was to the show, but kind of getting into to full on talk about that. I mean, first off when did you watch like how late to the craze were you were you early did someone recommend it to you like how did you get into the show let's see if I could actually pinpoint the exact date um I started watching the show I think Monday the 20 July 25th was when I watched the first episode because I I kept seeing on Twitter I kept hearing about the show and I literally texted my dad. I was like, yo, what's our Hulu login? Because <laughs> I was bumming off our good friend Jake Fine's Hulu while I was in college and now I don't have Hulu anymore. Um, so I bummed the Hulu login from my dad because I kept hearing, basically I kept seeing on Twitter everything about this show I had heard. I, I actually saw a TikTok about it. That's like anybody that's worked in food service, like you'd love this show, all this stuff about how it was just like, good and I was like I don't like getting into shows that like have like a fun fact about me I will never watch Game of Thrones ever in my life why there's there is way too much for me to ever like consume to even like get to the point of being caught up yeah well I'm like the same I've been like the same way my whole life I've been getting so much peer pressure recently to watch that show because the new the House of Dragons thing is coming out. So I finally watched I watched the first episode last night and I yeah. I just don't think I can do it. My employer, Warner Brothers Discovery, does the show. There are all sorts of promos around my office in my work. I have zero interest in watching it just because like there's so much for me to get caught up on. Like, but I was looking at this, I pulled it up i'm like yo eight episodes first season they're like 30 minutes a piece like super quick watches this is something i could like get into and then i watched first episode and it is just like exactly like what i was hoping for just the whole vibe like it's very stylized like film look chicago area kind of reminded you know like i moved to atlanta and i'm like missing like back home a little bit so a lot of like the little nods and stuff they have kind of remind me of like where I'm from um so it was like I was like this show this show's good and I watched the whole thing I was like damn this show's good (laughs) did you binge it like did you watch it all pretty much back to back or did it so it was kind of interesting so the first night I watched three episodes and then I like had some stuff for work, like whatever life happened. And my mom came into town and I was like, Hey, we were like just sitting around one night. And I was like, Hey, I started this show. If you'd want to watch a couple episodes and like try it. And my mom, if you know my mom, like the bear is like, I would say a challenging show to watch in terms of appreciate. Like it's got, 
I would say it's like pretty artistic in a lot of senses. And it's also like, it's not like a feel good watch all that. Like it kind of makes you like go through emotions and like think and like, that's what any good show really does. But my mom is somebody that like loves her Hallmark movies, right? Like she loves a nice, like easy watch. And so I was like, we watched the first episode and I could tell she wasn't really digging it. And I was like, and I knew it was because like Richie is an asshole, right? And my mom doesn't like assholes. <laughs> and I knew she just like hated Richie. I was like, I was like, you have to watch because I think it's, is it episode two where you kind of get some Richie background where he goes to the store with Sydney? Yeah, I believe I was like, so. So I made her watch that and she was like, it's all right. So I kept making her watch like more and more. And eventually that weekend when she was there, we just watched the whole series. Um, and so that was... I mean, the, that's how I watch it is I essentially watched the first three and then I rewatched the first three with my mom because I was like, try this out. And then I kind of like forced her into, <laughs> into watching the entirety of the series. But by the end of it, she was like, this is really good. And she actually made my dad watch it. My dad also doesn't like thinking, but in the opposite sense, he just likes gone blow up like <laughs> yeah. very into like that kind of thing and apparently he didn't like it very much but it's whatever he doesn't have good taste <laughs> we're not talking about his takes today we're talking about yours um yeah. I, mean, I, I think i watched it if i recall i did like two episodes a night for like a whole work week almost um which was nice because it was like almost a binge but i wasn't watch, so you I watched seven and eight that must have been an evening yeah that was an evening watching seven well i think i got to like I got to six and at that point I had seen everyone being like episode seven is one of the best pieces of television you'll ever watch like crazy it's yeah. insane or whatever and so then I saved seven but I do think I watched eight immediately after so yeah that was an evening for me and I just rewatched seven I think it was better the second time around so see I haven't I need to actually go back and rewatch. Another thing about me is I never rewatch shows. <laughs> but rewatching because I don't know. It's like it's good enough. Well, when I was watching the first three again with my mom, I was like, you know, like you you just catch like the show. Well, I, I think good shows speak for themselves in the level of like detail they have. And like you can tell when something is really well made because of like the minute details that are like packed into every bit of it where like when you go back and watch it get something from it you notice something small you you know Andrew have you seen Jeremy Allen White in anything before this so I know he played Liv Gallagher on Shameless and I didn't watch Shameless mm -hmm. so but I know he like a lot of people knew him from that. I've like watched like a little bit of Shameless, but I wasn't like, some people were really into that show, like aggressively into it in high school. And I, I was like- I didn't watch it in high school, but this past school year, that was like the show that I binged like the entire year long, which then created some very awkward situations. That show is filled with like graphic sex at just yeah. like <laughs> points. So there, there were several occasions where like I would be in the living room watching it because Caroline had been gone for hours and literally right when Caroline walked in it'd be like lip like fucking some girl like ramp and Caroline would be like what are you watching like, oh porn <laughs> I'm like 
I promise this is not the whole show. Like there's a lot of other interesting stuff going on, but yeah. So the first thing I like pulled out about the characters is that like Carmi is basically like an alternate universe Lip Gallagher. Like they're like pretty much the same character. Yeah. But Carmi's into food and Lip was into yeah, I don't know, like engineering kind of like he was into cars, but like in terms of like their personalities, same exact, same exact thing. Yeah. But what did you think of Carmi as like a character? Did you feel like he was believable? I really, I mean, I really liked him. It lines up, I had literally read some review on the bear that was talking about basically like him and how this role like fit him well, because it like was pretty in line with like other stuff he had played. So that makes sense what you were saying, even though I've never seen him in anything else. Um, I like, I, I mean, I, I thought he was very, I, and I think it, he plays like this very interesting role of like, you kind of see it, it to me is a, like a glimpse into like masculinity in a sense as well. Like to me, the show is very much about like masculinity within his own life and like this sense of like his relationship with his sister and like this sense of like having to hold it together and like it's all it's all like very based around his character like feeling like he needs to be this person that he like knows deep down he's not if that makes any sense and yeah like you see that when the guy tells him like you're a piece of shit like you should like kill yourself like as he's in this like top restaurant and like he's kind of dealing with that trauma throughout um and so I, I think he plays it really well because it's the show is like so subtle in the way it kind of drops all these things, but also very overt at times. <laughs> like it goes like really subtle stuff with his character and how he's feeling and the decisions he's making. And then it's like, oh, here's him like literally setting his apartment on fire like he's so like in his head like sleep deprived but also like stressed out and like feels like his life is literally going up in flames like that is such like just an overt metaphor and I think fire in general is just kind of like a constant like symbol throughout like the whole film or the whole tv series yeah um but anyways way way back to the point I think he plays like a very believable character in the sense like he's an asshole but you can't help but like root for him and then you're like you like you feel the trauma in terms of like as that slowly gets revealed like over time like his relationship with his brother and it like goes because like at first you're like why is he running this restaurant and you're like oh he was this top chef Mm -hmm. why is his brother left it to him and then like you go into all this stuff about his brother and you get all these hints like his brother wouldn't let him work at the restaurant, blah, blah, blah. And that's like, I had my tweet about episode eight. The seven minute monologue is one of my like favorite pieces of like television I've seen recently because all of a sudden it like encapsulates all these feelings and emotions that have been building for seven episodes are all of a sudden like there. Super present, like laid out straight in front of you. Like it's this huge payoff that is so hard to do but like all of a sudden like this character that you've seen like 
portray this like masculine presence, like trying to run this restaurant, trying to do all this stuff, be there for everybody, like do all, all of a sudden he just like breaks down like completely. Yeah. And we're, we're going to talk about that more extensively in just a second. Going back to your masculinity point, I think it's really interesting to look at the characters around him too, in terms of that like theme, because like on one hand, I mean, basically his two closest relationships throughout the show are Richie and then Sydney. I guess you could maybe put his sister in there as well, but I think we see more of him and Sydney interacting in like more meaningful senses than we do him and his sister necessarily. And so like you have Richie, who's like the definition of an asshole, like just like, always talking, like trying to act superior despite having no idea what he's doing, like very, very toxic masculinity, like masculinity vibes coming off of him there. And then you have Sydney, who's a young woman trying to break into a male dominated field. And then you have Carmi in the middle. So I think it's interesting how he kind of like, not only like balances the two of them, I think like we often see him trying to like quell them fighting, which they do all the time. I have some great quotes from them fighting in episode seven that I'm going to bring up later. But I think that's interesting too. And to see how then those three like build in with the rest of the the kitchen as well. I mean, you have so many different, very unique characters in that kitchen. I mean, you have like Tina, who's like the old lady who is just working there because she can work there. Like, I don't know. And then you have the baker dude whose name I'm totally blanking on. Who's like- the I was gonna stuff. bring up, he's like an interesting masculine point too of like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like he he's an interesting middle ground almost between Carmi and Sydney at the same time where he he almost plays like masculine but like in this Baker role which I feel like has a more like feminine undertones to it Mm -hmm. and like he just has like a more gentle presence than Carmi does and like his whole but like yeah there are times like he's I don't know it's it's like super like when he like takes down tries to take down the stock thing for Sydney it's also interesting how Sydney tries to like kind of combat, like you said, she's like female in a male dominated field. And she like is trying to, you know, like stick up for herself. She's trying to take this, what is it like beef stock down and then ends up spilling it everywhere because sometimes like that stubborn independence and that wanting to prove yourself, like, gets in your way and it, it, like it, I mean as as a young woman trying to break into a male dominated field like that that's relatable like sometimes you just so desperately don't want to ask for help when you really need it because you feel like you have to just push through it but then you end up making a big fat mess and spilling stock on the ground and just having to spend the rest of the day cleaning it up and yeah so I think that's a that's a good point as well okay let's talk about the seven minute monologue. Do you have your, your Twitter thread pulled up on it? Because I do. Yeah. Well, I don't have it, but I can have it pulled up. <laughs> Listen, we should read through that or like give like, give the highlights off of that, if you will. Yeah. Because I, I really appreciated this thread when you, when you tweeted it. It, which was funny. Like, it's very out of the ordinary for me to tweet something like this, but it got good reception, which I was like, <laughs> I know I was like, scrolling through your Twitter. I was like, oh, damn, it got like 76 likes. Oh, from a lot of random people that had watched the show. Huh. And I don't know, I appreciated it that at least 76 people thought it was a decent take. 
Um, but I basically talked about how, if you've seen the show, I have this still of Carmi, um, and that you'll recognize the still because basically for one shot, it's seven minutes straight um, of Carmi monologuing to, he went to Alcoholics. Yeah, which is like alcoholics. Yeah, it's like anonymous, but like adjacent, like for the people affected, the people with. Mm -hmm. So he goes to this meme because his sister, basically, a a plot point throughout, if you haven't watched the show, is that his sister has been pushing him to go to these meetings. And he finally took up going to these meetings, hadn't talked in one. He had just been like going therapeutically or hadn't said anything meaningful. I don't remember if he actually says anything up until this point. I don't believe he does. I don't think so basically seven minutes, one shot, right? Which if we think about media today, like TikToks, all I make for my job are TikToks and Instagram videos. It's all like one minute that you think about like the average TV or movie, like it's a cut every two and a half seconds Mm -hmm. on average. And it's like, we live in this like day and age of media as somebody that works in media. Like I'm, trying to figure out how to keep somebody's attention span. And the solution right now is like constant stimulation, like throw as much at them as possible because like, that's just what works right now, right? And so in a media environment like that, a seven minute continuous one shot, we're talking about like gentle camera sways, no crazy zooms, nothing like that. It's a testament to the fact that like, in order to like have that shot work, you have to build your show in a way that like that payoff is so intense Mm -hmm. that I'm invested for those seven minutes. Because if I don't care about what he's saying for seven, seven continuous minutes, then the shot doesn't work. But it's a miracle that like, I literally glued to the screen Mm -hmm. for seven minutes. And I like, like anybody else with shitty attendance fans with TikTok nowadays, like when I watch a show, I'm like on my phone some of the time, you know, like I feel like a lot of people kind of are. It's tough. Like everybody's attention spans are like so deteriorate, deteriorated by like the constant like media that we consume. Yeah. So the fact that like seven, seven continuous minutes um, and you kind of get for the first time he opens up, like I was saying earlier, um, you had gotten all these nuggets kind of laid out by, you know, the show and the script about his relationship with his brother and everything. And for the first time you get the entire backstory about the importance of his relationship with his brother, how he basically like his brother wouldn't let him work. So he was like, fuck you. I'll go like be the best chef I can. And then all this stuff, um, that you know like it it hits home like somebody as somebody with like a brother like you kind of get that brotherly rivalry and that like love he felt but almost that kind of like fuck you that he feels when his brother like doesn't didn't like reciprocate like you know wanting to like work with him and he like went out to prove himself and everything and then he kind of goes and talks about how his brother killed himself and how that impacted him it basically like brings his entire character into like full context 
in a way that we hadn't seen yet. Um, and it only works because of how invested you are like within Carmi. And I, I just, the monologue is heartbreaking. It's genuine, it's unfiltered and it feels so real. It's one of these scenes that touches some raw part of humanity that we can all feel and relate to is one of my quotes that, I mean, I genuinely feel because that scene, like, I don't know, I get like a little emotional, like thinking about it just because like, it feels so like visceral when you watch it. And like, that was as, especially as like an actor for um, Jeremy Allen Wyatt, like that was crazy that he, to make me feel like that for like seven minutes, you know, like props to him, but yeah. Yeah. Before, before I have a question for you, but before that, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Carmi's brother is played by John Bernthal, which I think was like one of the biggest surprises of the show. Are, do you, did you know, do you know John Bernthal? I, I don't. <laughs> Bernthal is like a pretty big actor. Okay. I know him because he's, he was in Daredevil, the Marvel show. That's like how I was introduced to him, but he's like pretty well-known like he's pretty high caliber I wouldn't say he's necessarily a-list but he might be like a minus b plus list like he's not like top tier like household name but he's pretty pretty famous um anyway that's who plays Carmi's dead older brother my question to you was gonna be how much do you think the pacing of this seven minute monologue and the fact that it was so easy to pay attention to is helped by the fact that you're pretty much coming immediately off the franticness oh, of it's, episode seven. It's beautiful. The way the, the way the entire show is paced is like exactly leans exactly into that where they literally overwhelm you, like make like they make you stressed out as a viewer. You can't help but like feel stressed out watching the show at times because like you're watching their entire like lives go to complete shambles like you're watching everything go to shit and then all of a sudden it'll be like boom slow-mo shots beautiful shots of like cooking the entire show is like lean so heavy into like pacing and that's like the most drastic example of that because it I think it starts out the season where you get like small bites of that but all of a sudden we went this entire what it's like 18 minute one yeah. shot where you watch everybody collectively like lose their minds you're stressed out watching you're like what the fuck is going on mm -hmm. and then it goes from that where and like that is cut so fast because you're you're well not cut fast but the movement on screen and the way like the camera's whipping turning like everything is quick and then yeah. to go from that drastic like of movement and everything to like stillness that like I definitely think that's why it works because mm -hmm. your brain needs a break <laughs> yeah I mean and I think it, it works great too because the show was released as like a a binge as opposed to a week yeah. like I don't think it necessarily would have had the same effect if you watched it episode seven on a Wednesday one week and then you couldn't watch episode eight until the next I mean like I still think that monologue would be really moving because I do think the writing of it like I think the writing as well as Jeremy Allen White's acting is phenomenal because like just like the way it's so rambly like it feels like such genuine speech because I feel like sometimes 
writers get so in their heads about trying to make a character sound a certain way and like they feel like oh it's hard to write true true dialogue like the way we speak to each other like it's hard to write that authentically because people just try to go for like standard I don't know like I don't know it's hard to describe but like you don't it's hard to write good speech and like this I was just re-watching it and like the thing that stood out to me is just like he basically just rambles the whole thing and like yes there are sentence breaks and pauses and like he takes long breaths or like looks up and down from the ground to the audience and the people in the room but like it feels so genuine it's not like a oh it's said in the script look down here look up here like it's it's him experiencing the frustration and the release of I've been holding this in for so long I was so mad at my brother now I'm finally talking about it and that like is a difficult thing but I don't know like I just liked how authentic the dialogue is and like one piece that I really really appreciated I don't know why that just like stuck out to me is like it's in the middle of the, the monologue. And he says, I didn't get into college. I didn't have any girlfriends. I don't think I'm funny. And just the pacing of those three sentences, like I rewinded when I was just watching it, I rewound it because I was like, oh my God, like the way he delivers them. And then he like, his voice cracks on the word funny and he takes like a 10 second pause after it. And you can just like, those three sentences, I feel like really tell you so much about who he thinks he is as a person and how he's perceived himself for so long that it was just chef's yeah. amazing. I think, yeah, definitely like going off what you're saying, like the monologue feels like it's thinking through itself, which I think is a testament to like the writing in terms of like, you can follow like his train of thought in a sense, like it feels while he's, acting like it feels like you're watching somebody thinking out loud you know which is hard to like write down <laughs> yeah because like when like I don't know like even thinking about how we are talking to like I can hear how I'm talking and I'm like I would never write like that because like when you're writing you know that you have to take specific breaks and you can't have a sentence last for four clauses because that would be clunky but that's how people talk sometimes so Anyway, anything else you want to say about the monologue? Uh, we kind of said it all. I, I think we hit I mean, I feel like I feel like we really went through it. Let's I about, oh. oh no no keep, keep I was gonna say, let's yeah. talk about episode seven then because we kind of oh. already you kind of already got into it. This is the 18 minute single shot episode. There's like two minutes at the beginning that's like a montage of Chicago, like different clips from around the city. There's like historical clips mashed in there. There's some shots of the characters and that's all set to Chicago by Sooth John Stevens, which is a great song. I love it. Um, but then it gets to, I think I looked the 231 mark and for the rest of the episode, which is about 18 minutes, all one shot. I mean, how difficult is that to pull off from a cinematographer like perspective well, cinematography point almost impossible and as I was actually reading something that they had about like two to three weeks to like prepare for like they decided to make the episode one take two to three weeks before they shot it which also is ridiculous in terms of everything like you see on a movie set is like carefully constructed anything on tv or film like you're thinking like 
lights like and you will literally change for two and a half seconds a shot will be on screen like lights will be completely repositioned you'll get like all sorts of like camera repositions like reposition things in the background whatever everything like everybody i think knows this in the back of their head but when you like work on like sets and stuff you really see like the attention to detail is immense in everything people do especially on like super big sets where you're pouring millions of dollars into a show and to be able to have 18 straight minutes of like raw like the camera moving first the camera has to like I don't know how much they choreograph but to like have a cohesive story like you have to at least generally choreograph like movements of people and where people go and yeah. have like time marks and have people like hitting their time marks hitting like all everything they're supposed to be doing and to like pull all that off for 18 straight minutes is like pretty insane i mean we saw um why am i blanking on the movie though the war movie um oh, that, mm, was it dunkirk or 1911 that did uh, 1911 1911 it's all one shot they had like some um invisible cuts throughout where they were able like like transition stuff that like doesn't look like a cut but is a cut mm -hmm. um, and like if you ever watch any behind the scenes of that it's crazy how how much they had to like do and like choreograph like they had people like telling people when to run whatever and I'm sure like that was the same way now we're talking about like a very cramped space too yeah that kitchen so, is tiny that they're having yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like getting all the movements right I almost think I think it's a testament to like actors as well, like to know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of like improvisation almost goes into those, mm -hmm. like one, that entire episode, because like 18 minutes, you have to be like doing all sorts of different stuff continuously. Um, but also like, I mean, planning where that camera goes for 18 minutes is super important. And like, it's almost documentary in a sense, because like, you obviously have to plan, but I'm sure like they were, the cameraman also is just kind of like feeling things. Cause sometimes you're like filming something and you just do what like feels natural. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, crazy that they were able to pull that off. Yeah. Well, and just like the whole, the whole way the episode is like structured and like the individual plot of the episode and how it ties into the larger plot. Like it just builds so perfectly throughout the episode because you you start with this very calm montage set to a very soothing song and then it's okay you're coming in and they're in like a happy mood in the kitchen like uh Ibra I think is his name is reading the review which then obviously leads to well the guy reviewed food that's not on their menu so then Carmi finds out about Sydney making this risotto and then it just like starts to build. You bring Richie in and Richie's of course like talking shit to Sydney. You have Richie being stabbed, which made me- Richie, that- So hard. <laughs> he just gets right in the ass. <laughs> that's, that's like the best part. My other favorite is I, because you just can't help but feel so bad for him. You watch episode after episode of Marcus trying to get his donut right. And- <laughs> he comes up <laughs> with this beautiful donut and he's like I I forget his exact line but it was something about like the dough he, 
He's like, I've been trying to make like a flower based, but I should have been doing cake based the whole time. <laughs> and then Kamri's just like, are you fucking kidding me right now? He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's like, is this a joke? And then like smacks it out of his hand. And you're like, oh my God. Bad because I simultaneously so bad feel bad for him that that has happened. Because like you said, you've watched him throughout this entire show try and perfect this. And it's clear that it's something he's really passionate about. But at the same time, you're like, why are you <laughs> You're like, Marcus, are you? <laughs> he just zones in so hard. He gets in the baking zone, man. <laughs> Any, like, like anyone who works, who has ever worked in a kitchen, like knows, like even if it was just like, just from working at Harold's, I know that like if some, someone was doing that shit in our kitchen while it was rush hour, I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? You worked in food service too, right? Yeah, I worked at an ice cream shop that yeah. was, I mean, we got busy. I, it kind of, the show reminded me of that because, I mean, it was homemade ice cream in a small thing in my hometown that, like, got super, like, we'd have a line out the door and around the corner on, like, some nights and, like, same kind of vibes in the kitchen of people just all on top of each other and stuff. But, yeah, if somebody was, like, just doing whatever during a rush hour that... <laughs> it's like fine that he wants to do that just literally not in that instance like it's not even just like the normal chaos of a kitchen that you're dealing with because there's like pretty much no time that a kitchen isn't at least slightly chaotic in like food service I feel like but then you have like the whole situation where they've just opened up the the to-go orders the like pre-sale stuff the receipts just keep printing and then they have oh, the, it's so good it's so good and they have the extra person in the kitchen because tina has to bring her son yep. grandson louie so like, suspended it's <laughs> like so funny too it just comes out of nowhere you're like why is this person here you got the stabbing in the ass uh, is the best part for yeah, sure it is the best part and it's funny because like there's he's just, a matter of fact like i just got stabbed i just got stabbed <laughs> which is funny because he's so dramatic at other at every other point so that i feel like that's how you know that he's actually phased by what's going on is because he doesn't dramatize it like because even like five minutes earlier he is like talking with Sydney they're out by like the front counter I don't remember how they get on the topic but they're like arguing about something and she's like oh well your friends always come in here and order one sandwich for the four of them don't even eat it and then leave or whatever and he goes what so this is a war on poor people and she's like no it's a war on you shutting the fuck up Richie and like it's just like he's like the classic like take everything and blow it up to 10 times <laughs> yeah sometimes what it should be well another when he gets stabbed i mean like they have the whole like health inspector episode right where they yeah. get and then all of a sudden he gets stabbed and then you watch him he's in the kitchen and he literally walks over like pulls down his pants and like pulls up his underwear and you see the stab wound he's literally <laughs> bleeding on the floor yeah <laughs> they're like cauterizing it and he what he says like Oh, tell me about, he tell, he asks Ibra, who's doing the cauterization, he's like, tell me about the factions, and Ibra starts, like, talking about his home country's government, and then he's like, and two helicopters, and Richie goes, is this shit fucking Black Hawk down, and Ibra's like, Black Hawk down, yes, and you're like, like, that's just such a random piece of dialogue, but it, like, just fits the episode 
so perfectly. I don't know, but pure chaos. Yeah, great times all around. Um, any any other episodes that really like stood out to you, or like individual scenes from some of the other episodes? Um, I was crying, laughing, like beside myself <laughs> when <laughs> they put the Xanax <laughs> in the punch. <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> what episode, episode three, episode four. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the whole birth, like that whole episode. The, the whole like, well, and his sisters, like his brother-in-law, is such a funny character because, like, his brother-in-law only like wants the best for Carmi. Is like so supportive. Is like at this party, like they literally warn each other. I think his name's Phil. Phil. Yeah, that sounds right. They're like, oh, Phil, Phil's here. Like, they let everybody know. And then, like, some dude's ripping Carmen. He's like, this guy was, like, the head of the best restaurant. And Carmen's just saying, like, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> it's kind of like, talk your shit, Phil. But also, like, Phil, can you? <laughs> and he's, like, hamming it up with them. And then he's so funny because they got to take him home because he got, like, took the punch. He's <laughs> like, I feel a little tired. Then you like, it's so funny to like, everything goes quiet. <laughs> they look out over the kids. They're all asleep. I think Richie's like, huh, that's weird. Because <laughs> all the kids are passed out. You have the uncle that like, Carby tells him he put the Xanax in it. He's like, actually, I'm kind of into it. Like, <laughs> that whole episode is so funny. Even the start where, Carmi and <laughs> Richie are arguing over the giant inflatable hot dog and he's like trying to put the shirt over it but the shirt is way too small to ever fit so they end up like it, the, they pop it they have another one in the back that Richie goes to get and then they show the they showed at the party and they literally like just duct taped a shirt like <laughs> onto like just his chest like right here like the shirt is like that big <laughs> on the hot dog good yeah that's, a good episode. That, that's one of my favorites for sure I also did find I I liked how the the season ended with the the money and yes. the tomato can I was gonna bring that up I mean the letter of like yeah. well the letter almost makes you cry when it's like first of all Richie's an asshole for not like giving him the letter when he first found it but it yeah. shows like some development of his character that he like eventually gets around to like plopping it down on his desk yeah and then the like I love you dude let it rip which he had talked about let it rip as like he talks about it in the monologue right the monologue as like this thing like him and his brother like it's a saying they kind of had and so like that makes you like cry and then he finally gives the family recipe for spaghetti which is this constant the theme throughout the film of Carmi asking like why are there so many fucking tomato cans like <laughs> this spaghetti is like this big thing where Richie wants to keep the spaghetti on the menu Carmi's like it doesn't fit the menu like all this shit also like who goes to it a restaurant that serves sandwiches and orders spaghetti. <laughs> and so like, it, it's a deciding moment. And I think it's episode one 
it's the end of episode one where Ricky goes like they have like all these like nerds trying to play this video game tournament and he's like basically like you don't run this I do like you're gonna go to the back and like make that spaghetti because like this is what it's gonna take to feed all these people and at the very end of the episode I don't know if you remember but he like throws the tomato can away yeah, and now yeah. all I'm thinking about now is like that had 10 bands in it. That tomato can. <laughs> yeah. Which like, how did he get, how did he get that in there? Like what, how is he doing what that? Was the manufacturing process. Stealing them back up. Like that's not like a classic, like sipping, like that's not like a refilling a water bottle with vodka or yeah, like. That's not like some drug dealer, like smuggling shit. Yeah, like that must take serious, like heavy machine like I don't know like an assembly line at the very least like that's not a one-man job like my question I I don't know I still like like why (laughs) why why in yeah like you couldn't have just like put it in the attic hide it literally anywhere else or like put it in a dry food like why didn't you put it in a pasta bag or something like yeah. that? Or like well, our container. The visual of them opening the cans collectively and pulling out the money is so funny. And yeah. then when Sydney walks back, walks back in, and they're all just like opening <laughs> tomato cans, and she's like <laughs> making a complaint. They're like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> get, get to work. <laughs> like, are you gonna help us or what? And she agrees to help. Yeah, thank God. Now we get season two. Who knows when? Season two. Where they, I mean, they shut. So the end of season one, they shut down the restaurant and are reopening it under. I mean, they're opening a new restaurant essentially, but in the same location. Yeah. Same location. Under. I knew it was going to be called the Bear. Come on. Yeah, that was obvious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my mom's like sitting there watching she's like I wonder what they're gonna call it I'm like mom <laughs> I will say I didn't the first time around I wasn't paying attention to what their last name was because most of the time they don't use it so I didn't realize that the bear was also a play on their last name because I've got a I got a question for you oh okay film critique because I'm still not sure what I make of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, the the bear on the in very the opening on the scene. Bridge. The very opening scene. Well, okay, so I'm assuming that's the State Street Bridge, right? Yeah. Which is where his brother killed himself. We learn. So I read it as like a. I didn't that- even make that connection. Wow, this is why you have the podcast and I don't. <laughs> so we see it at the beginning of the show in the very first episode and it like happens and then Carmi like wakes up and it's like a nightmare right yeah yeah versus in at the start of episode eight you see it again I literally just watched this and I'm trying to think of what you see it and it has just like a different tone to it I feel like but you see the bigger on the on the bridge again so I think it has to do like it's like this emotional trauma that he feels from from his brother committing suicide and so like on that bridge which again it gets to the like obvious symbolism but like also not obvious thing because it's it's literally I mean their last name is Berzato and you have a bear in a cage 
on the bridge where his brother committed suicide. Like, I think it's definitely like a, a metaphor for like his trauma or like a way of him visualizing his trauma, which is also why it's in a cage when we see it, because at the beginning of the show, he's not ready to talk about it. Like he can't, he can't, and he also doesn't want to let any of that emotion out. Yeah. And so like, I think the bear is supposed to be like that, that trauma of losing his brother. Yeah. I like that. I like that. That'd be my guess. When I, but I, that. Damn, we're way hit like me from the start. Like definitely when I watched the first episode, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why oh, is there a sure. bridge on? <laughs> See, I had my analysis, like I've, I've like thought about it and I was going to, I didn't make the connection towards his brother, but I was kind of along the same sense in terms of like, this is like his inner, inner trauma in yeah. a sense of like, him confronting like he's all of a sudden like thrust back into this place of his like hometown and everything and like even though like as everybody knows like places are filled with emotion and a lot of times like trauma yeah he thrust back into that like place which is why I think like everybody is so apprehensive about him even like working there like his sister hates the place right she won't even like she doesn't even like coming by or anything but he's like so determined to like fix it because I think it's like to him like an extension of his brother you know yeah well and like I mean in a sense that restaurant is a cage itself to their family because they're too in they're too deep in financial debt to do anything about getting rid of that space but they also like don't have the money to like make it fully work at least not for the uncle, uncle buy it and turn it into an applebee's or whatever <laughs> yeah, exactly so like that i think that's yeah i mean i think it all ties back to like the idea of of trauma or whatever but you can just yeah. read it a lot of different ways so i think yeah i mean the show is all in all like incredible everybody should watch it but like it is like a good look into trauma and how people like deal with it I mean you even see how Richie as much as an asshole as he is you see him like dealing with the trauma in like his own ways and like you see like why he's the person he is and like a lot of it is like how people deal with how Carmi especially deals with trauma but like everybody in the restaurant even like Tina talks about how she was close with um what's his brother's name why am I blanking on this? um hold on I have it pulled up <laughs> Uh, Michael, Mikey. Oh, Michael, yeah, Mikey. And Tina talks about how she was close with Mikey. Like everybody uh, besides Sydney mm-hmm. knew him, you know? And like, you kind of see how they're all very much a show about like the processing of trauma, but also like creating, like turning a new leaf on life. Yeah. Well, not like everyone can have trauma from the same event, but in a different way. Because I think part of like, Richie's trauma and why he deals with it the way he does which is through being an asshole (laughs) which not the best way to deal with trauma if you ask me (laughs) is because like he was by Mikey's side for so long after Carmi left that like he feels slighted by the fact that Carmi was just able to come back in yeah after Mikey died and take everything over like he he probably feels like he was robbed of something. I mean, I think we get a little bit of that at the beginning where he's like, this is my restaurant. And Carmi's like, fuck no, it isn't. But I mean, 
I can understand why Richie would feel kind of entitled to it if he had been there the whole time managing and picking things up for Michael, albeit doing a pretty shitty job, but still. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the way Carmi deals with it is he almost, it's a lot of confusion over like why now to have the restaurant when he like wanted to help his brother the whole time. But I think he also feels a lot of like guilt associated with his brother's death undoubtedly of like feeling like he wasn't there yeah I and mean, that goes back like Richie like because he wasn't there you know yeah but he feels that and so he's almost overcompensating throughout the show it like the whole show like it's that's why I think it's so great is that it's like so well thought out in the way like all these characters interact with each other mm-hmm. and like they're very like complex relationships like it's not a lot of like oh tv relies on a lot of like i feel like simple relationships and like yeah between characters but these are like really like trauma ridden versus like all this you have the implication of like young black woman trying to break into like male dominated field with like you know like everything that entails versus like tina is like an older black woman with like in her relationship with Sydney yeah. and like it's all these like very intense kind of like subject matters that are like done very well you know and all this like I don't know blending of like culture and everything they do with Chicago is great and anyway just 10, 10 out of 10 ah, great show yes chef yes chef and yeah I will I will be watching a second season of it for sure I mean yeah would have been satisfied I think with one season but second season will be good okay before we end I'm going to talk about some other like summer content in the intro and outro of this pod and I'm curious if you have any other favorite pieces of from this summer any other favorite pieces of content movies albums that have to be current like stuff that came out this summer preferably yes though I'd be interested to hear what you discovered um this summer that wasn't current um, well, I watched Moneyball for the first time. I haven't seen it. That's, not, that's one I haven't seen. In 2011 or whatever, and that was pretty good. Um, let's think. I got some. I got some music definitely for you. I don't know about. I'm trying to think any movies I've seen recently that have been great, but nothing has really been standing. Okay. Jake's usually Jake's usually my go-to friend for movie talk. Yeah, he's a. He's a culture kid. Movie fiend. Um, here, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. I'm going to my playlist right now. Okay, perfect. I'm on Spotify. I was going to say, you're probably honestly more tuned into a lot of the mainstream music stuff that happened this summer. Yeah. Uh, music stuff is like, yeah, most of what I like keep up with, at least, like on a day-to-day. Um, I mean, Lil Uzi dropped like a SoundCloud album that was like fire. Um, that I like, we've it's on Spotify now, but it was originally on SoundCloud. He's just kind of like going back to his roots, you know. Um, sure. Red Pill. He's like eighteen year old artist, completely um, produced and like did everything on his like debut album. It's called Learn to Swim, PG Baby. If you need a song off of it. 
incredible. Hmm. Um, I mean, Central C having quite the summer, got the Lyrical Lemonade co-sign with the Cole Bennett video. Everybody knows Steve Lacey having. Yeah, having I, I have listened to the Steve Lacey album and I listened to the Montel Fish album. Well, Montel Fish, also great. Really um, sad though, really fucking sad. Really sad. I think Midwest spelled Midwest, but the E is an X. Um, he's got some fun like alt pop, hip hop kind of vibe. Um, and he's dropped some singles that are pretty solid um that you know i think he's dropping an album soon we've got we got fred again having the summer of his life that boiler room set turn on the light i have like no idea who half the people you're talking about um i mean we're it's it's been a pretty decent summer i can't i can't go without mentioning the drake album which if you don't like the Drake album, you're wrong. <laughs> and you're pretty close-minded towards music because I appreciate what Drake does. And that's like experiment, you know, he, he kind of does what he's feeling the whole album. Like when, when have you ever seen a mainstream rapper drop a house album? Like Kanye's experimented with house because Kanye is from Chicago, Chicago, shout out how, Shout, shout out Chicago as the home of house music. Oh, wow. So Kanye has played around with some house in the past, but like, I mean, for Drake to go do that and then to drop like Jimmy Cooks on the end of the album as like... That, good song. that was one of the songs that on my first list and I did like. Well, see, and that's, you're supposed to like it because that song's in there as like a fuck you, I can do this whenever I want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to the album theme but it's just kind of like showing you like i can literally pull this out of my ass whatever i want this album is what i wanted to do but like here's this for you peasants <laughs> okay maybe i'll revisit the drake album i don't that's pretty much it for this episode guys i hope you enjoyed andrew and i chatting about the bear i know we were a little late to talking about it but I mean as you could probably tell from listening to this episode there was just so much content that came out this summer it really forced me to pick and choose uh what I wanted to cover as it was happening while also balancing my actual job I get paid for and and the rest of life so I'm glad we got to double back and talk about the bear because it was probably one of my favorite projects of the summer favorite things I watched um, and was a really easy watch for the most part as well. So if you haven't watched The Bear and for some reason just listened to this whole podcast, go back and watch it. Anyway, as for what's coming up on You Like That, I am working on organizing an MCU fantasy football draft. So it'll be pretty similar to like if you've ever listened to any of the ringers like character drafts or movie drafts, it'll be like that. But, like, we will actually be selecting MCU players for different football positions. It'll be, like, a illegitimate fantasy football draft, only instead of being, like, I want Rob Gronkowski as my tight end. It's going to be, like, I want Drax as my tight end. Whatever. So we're going to do that. Um, I'm finalizing 
who is going to join and then I have to make a list of all the characters so that everyone's on the same page and guidelines, yada, yada, yada. So that will be coming soon, probably not next week's episode, but in the next couple weeks. Also going to do an episode on sports, specifically football and pop culture crossovers, because we've seen a lot of that this summer, both in like promotional materials and in like players tweeting about things. So just talking about that as kind of sports seasons ramp up here. Once the HSMTMTS season is done, we're going to talk about that pretty extensively, which is why I did not really mention it on the pod today. So that's what's coming up with podcasts. I need to get back in the newsletter craze. I've just been doing a lot of writing for my actual job recently. So sometimes, even though I enjoy writing, it, it feels like a chore to have to sit down and do more. So promise I will be getting back into that. I might be restructuring how I do the Sunday service newsletters a little bit where I'm gonna focus like hyper-focus on one topic and then still give you those other topics, but maybe just in like a a bulleted list or like here's the topic and one sentence on it instead of trying to write like full paragraphs on like 10 different things that happened. Um, I just think it's, it's more beneficial that way and it fits more in like the Sunday service title, which I might might rebrand it as like Sunday sermon because not to make it like religious, but like for anyone who's ever been to like a church service, like a sermon is when like the pastor like preaches about one topic for a while. And so I think that would, that would line up a little bit more. So that was a little behind the scenes look at my thought process about the newsletters right now. Um, And then I probably will be doing like a regular newsletter on a show soon again like I was doing with like Obi-Wan and whatever I did before that I can't remember right now (laughs) but um whether that be like a show I'm catching up on that I haven't watched before or something that's coming in the upcoming months I will let you know but be on the lookout for all of that and thank you so much so 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 very much for listening to you like that talk to you soon (laughs) 